Hello there, it's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. Uh, Kieran Culkin joins us live in the studio to talk to us about the return of Succession as it hits our screens for its third season. Teacher, music enthusiast and writer Jeffrey Boacci tells us about his brand new book, Musical Truth. Head judge of Strictly Come Dancing, Shirley Ballas, gives us an insight into her autobiography, Behind the Sequence, as well as some gossip behind the doors of Strictly Come Dancing. And Tracy Ann Oberman tells us about the second season of Sandylands, as well as her amazing role in Ridley Road. But before all of that, here's Maria and Graham's guide. She approaches. She is nigh. I'm nigh. I am here. <laughs> I am opposite you. How is you? Snorting and sneezing. That's how I am. No, I'm very good. Thank you very much, Graham Norton. It's the weekend. Woohoo! You look like you look very capable today. <laughs> do you I? look like you could do something. Like. I don't know, put up wallpaper. Yes, I'm sort of dungaree type thing, isn't it? Overalls. Overalls? <laughs> so you put the stress on overalls, and it's overalls. Um, very good show on the television last night, by the way. Well, I was everywhere last night. I was all over the television like a rash. Well, you were on Gogglebox, which I was slightly annoyed about that I didn't do it with you. <laughs> well, they didn't ask me. They asked Michelle. Ah, OK. And she had she to, managed she had to, to rustle you. up a friend, so yeah. I was it. She probably wouldn't want me, would she? <laughs> no, she doesn't know Give you, does she? No, I know. Have you ever met Michelle? No. No, well, there you go. No, no. Uh, but no, very good on Gogglebox, Stand Up to Cancer, and very good on your television show. And so nice to see Billy Connolly. Wasn't he great? Aww. No, because, you know, because, uh, you know, we, we know he's living with Parkinson's and you you worry, you kind of think, oh, I don't want, I don't want this to be upsetting for him or for us, for him to think, wow, I'm not firing in all my cylinders and for us as an audience to kind of think, ooh. But actually, he was terrific. Yeah. And really. sort of very, you know, got had the anecdotes to hand, yeah. as it were. You know, yeah, because I, of course... I don't know what meds he's on because, you know, I think he has, he has balance issues, he's problems with walking. Right. But, you know, he was great. There was not, no hint of a tremor. He was able to gesti- gesti- gesticulate the way he always did. Uh, I... I was really impressed by him. Yeah, I'm very excited today, by the way, for Kieran <gasps> McGulkin coming in. And I was thinking, well, oh, maybe I'll hang around and fangirl a bit. But then I hear he's got quite the entourage. It's very a succession because yes. he's got kind of, you know, all the people from HBO and all of that. And yeah. he's got, a, so I won't be able to get to him, basically. No, I, I'll have him in here and I'll, <laughs> you, I'll lock You will the have doors. him in here. Yeah. But you wouldn't be able to launch yourself at him as I would, you see. No, no. Um, I... When we were at the other place, I was able to launch myself at various people. Yes, well, they were trapped by the Elton John piano and there was no escape. <laughs> I would get them. I, I, yes, I would sort of corral them into the Elton John <laughs> piano and then just talk at them for many, many hours. Uh, I've seen episode one of season three. Well, can we get it tomorrow? Is it tomorrow that it drops? Tomorrow night, yeah. I think it's on. If you haven't seen Succession People at Home, it's really very good and you've got a treat in store if you haven't seen Series 1 and 2. Oh, yeah. Actually, they're all available now. Yeah. So uh, get them. And, like, do, were you like me? Did you instantly like it? Because I resisted it. I thought, I hate these people. I'm not spending time with these people. I didn't find it on, on the platforms that I have, which are limited and few. But then I did and then I just, you know, binge-watched. I think I spent an entire evening watching the first series. What? Because, I mean, I was listening to people on Front Row talk about it, saying, well, they're just such horrible people, and where's the joy? And we think, that's the whole point, surely, that they've got so much of everything, and it's utterly joyless. And so it's thrilling to see, for, the, for those of us who do maintain a small amount of joy, Graham. Yes, and also the it's very, very funny, and the plotting is amazing. The plotting is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the last it's episode... It's Jesse Armstrong, the, who wrote Peter, yeah. among many, many other things, and lots of British 
writers, Georgia Pritchett, um, the girl who wrote Enron, what's her name, Lucy Preble. Um, yep. And Jane so, Austen. Yeah, and Jane Austen. So very excellent writing, just thrilling writing. And I think they write it very much in the American way, where people just add and add and add, and then the yeah. the, the, uh, the end of the last episode of season two is one of the best bits of telly I've ever seen. I think you're absolutely right. And he is amazing. And although you do think he's quite intense in real life. Apparently I... he's quite a method. This isn't Kieran, by the way. This is the man whose name we don't know. Uh... S- something strong. Somebody Je- will oh, tell oh, us. Oh, Jeffrey Strong. Is it Jeffrey no, strong? not Jeffrey Strong. Uh, Billy Strong. <laughs> yes, uh, Bob Strong. Someone's finding it for yeah. us. But he is very, very method. And um, But I think Kieran McCorkin is my absolute favourite. Oh, you haven't got Dan Levy coming on your television show, have you? No, but oh, he is in the country. He is in the country. Why isn't he on your show from Schitt's Creek? Um, I think we didn't have room. Because oh. we can't just shove him on the sofa anymore. We've got to have the, the spaces between yes. the chairs. Can I just tell you what I think is a brilliant piece of television? You may have seen it or not, and then I'll shut up. Okay. It's called Scenes from a Marriage, and it's the remake of the Bergman seven. Classic <sighs> with Jessica Chastain. No, it's don't watch it if your relationship is in trouble, people. This is a good test, but it's uh, really good and so brilliantly acted. Okay. Yeah, you haven't seen it. Uh, no, it's passed uh, you by. Jeremy Strong, by the way, I've just been told. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, producer Mick. What did you call him, Jeffrey? Jeffrey, I was quite close. <laughs> Yeah. But, no, but no cigar. Yeah. yeah. And, and he wouldn't Ken- thank you for calling him Jeffrey. And Kenneth, M- Kenneth M- Culkin, Culkin will be uh, joining us later. Uh, Maria, yeah. uh, sort yourself out, get some letters together, and we'll have Graham's Guide. Virgin Radio. Uh, do you have a letter? I do. Oh, why don't you read it aloud? Oh, that's a novel idea, Graham. <clears throat> but I'll do it anyway. Dear Graham and Maria, My friend, who I have known for about ten years, brackets, she used to work with my mum, close brackets, is starting to really annoy me, despite being my carer throughout Covid. We do things like go for walks, go to the cinema, attend concerts and do shopping. But she doesn't pay for herself. We were due to see a concert together in December, but she told me the other day that something has come up on that day and now she can't go, even though I have paid for her ticket. She also asked me the other week if I would like to go on holiday with her. But this whole not paying a single penny for things has really put me off. What should I do? And that is from Sammy in Bedfordshire. Now, Sammy in Bedfordshire, I'm a little confused by your letter because I think the lines have got blurred here. Is she a carer or is she a friend? You say carer throughout COVID, so which would indicate that you, there is some level of care that you need and that she used to work with your mum, maybe as your mum's carer, we're not sure. So because the lines are blurred here and you don't know if she's your friend or your carer, um, as a carer, of course, she's going to be paid to do these things with you. As a friend, perhaps not. So I would just say, Sammy in Bedfordshire, it's not a big deal for you to bring up. You just need to clarify a few things, or it may be a little late for that. I mean, it sounds much more like carer. And so then I think you are expected to pay, not necessarily for a holiday, but you just need to outline what your expectations are, Sammy, in Bedfordshire, so that you can let go of this resentment, because it sounds to me as though if you do continue to resent, it's all going to go horribly wrong, and then you won't have a friend or a carer. What do you think, Graham? Well, I think it's difficult, because I think it sounds like um, Sammy is quite isolated. It sounds like Sammy and this person are very much together. 
Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, that thing of uh, something's come up, can't go to the concert, but I've bought the ticket already. You know, I think Is a lot someone of us... Else you well, yeah, a lot of us, a lot of us would kind of think, oh, well, I'll just take so-and-so or I'll ask so-and-so if they want to go, you know. And I feel like that's not the situation in Sammy's life. Sammy, once this person says no, that seems to be it. So I don't... It, it is very complicated, Sammy. I think what you need to do is... You need to... Well, you need to talk to this person, the the friend who you've known for 10 years. Um, I mean, 10 years is a long time. Yes, but you see, it's so blurry whether it is a carer... Um, and there is a different relationship there. Of course, you know, carers can be friends with who they care for. Um, but it just strikes me that you expect something different, Sammy, to what your carer yes. slash friend is. And I think if you're, if you're paying this person, that's different. But then if you're not paying this person, but they think, well, I'm caring for Sammy, then they will expect some free stuff along the way. If I'm taking... If I'm... If I'm facilitating you going to the restaurant, yes, I will need some food. Thank you. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not yeah. gonna. I'm not gonna pay for my own dinner. I mean, I would, if it's possible, Sammy. I would kind of extend your friendship group, and that may well be you have some friends who assist you. We don't know what assistance you need. Maybe going to the concert, so that it doesn't feel quite so pointed every time you're paying for this particular person. I mean, for sure, give the ticket away to the concert that she can't now make in December to someone else, and you'll have an equally good time. And all you say to them is, "You will need to assist me with." stairs or whatever assistance you need. But then the holiday bit I don't understand because the the friend is the one suggesting the holiday. Well, perhaps she's just trying to get things in her diary. I mean, we don't know because we're not particularly uh, sure of, of where we are. And I think that both of them have a different idea of what they are to each other. You're saying friend, maybe your friend thinks of herself more as a carer, Sammy. You just need to clear the air... Yes, I and, think so. ..and absolutely put the lines in... Is that Macaulay Culkin? No, it's not Macaulay, no, it's no, Kieran. No. Uh, you just need to get <laughs> make sure that you're both on the same page as to what you're doing and what responsibilities you have to each other. And also, I do think it's quite good for you to get out with other people. There must be other friends in your life, Sammy. Yes, I think... Uh, start putting some boundaries in place where you kind of say, OK, let's go but this is a, this is a social thing so you know if you want to come it, it's up to you kind of you know make it clear that they might have to put their hand in their pocket at some point yeah i don't know i mean it's it's I hard mean, and also sammy if you have the money and she's your friend just pay for her well no that's annoying oh okay no 10 years of that that's annoying all right but yeah. and you know sammy may not have the money so oh. uh, yeah there's there's more that we need to know from this letter sammy but basically what you need to do is have a lovely sit down over a coffee and some biscuits and just chat and say this is how i view it how do you view it what biscuits <laughs> no just just biscuits i'm just thinking that you leaving that cake on the doorstep <laughs> That, I can't remember what problem that was supposed to solve. I haven't all. introduced my cake on the doorstep for a long time. I think that was a certain COVID madness that I was suffering from when I thought cake was the answer to every problem. Yeah, and in many ways it is, Graham. Mysterious tin on the doorstep. <laughs> What's that? By the way, my favourite bits of advice today, we'll get a delicious bottle of Waitrose and Partners number one Malbec. Mmm. You can't go wrong with a nice Malbec. Oh, lovely. OK, who's going to get it? Uh, Sammy in Bedfordshire. So, uh, Russell Portsmouth says, Sammy's got to be honest and say that she can't keep paying for everything. Honesty is the best policy. 
And certainly something needs to be said. You can't just be annoyed for this long. You've got to say something. Uh, George in Stockport. Uh, Sammy should simply stop paying for things. Ask to split the bill when out for meals and drop subtle hints. If you can't resell or give away the concert ticket, ask for the money for it anyway. Oh, yeah, the concert ticket. Yeah, it was strange that... That's what confused me was Sammy didn't kind of think, oh, I'll just take someone else. It seems like they are very in each other's lives. They're very codependent. Dominic in Salford says, if I were Sammy, I would simply bring up the topic next time she asked to do something. After 10 years of friendship, they should be comfortable with having this type of discussion. Uh, Dear Sammy, friend, carer, whatever, the logical, reasonable thing, if you're arranging a holiday, is to make it clear that costs and expenses will be split. If, as a friend, she objects to this, then she isn't a friend, but a user. And if she then tries to guilt trip you, that is a sure sign that she's a user. So don't get irritated. Get real. That's from Bunty and Cheadle. Of course it is. Some tough love from Bunty and Cheadle. Uh, Rebecca says, uh, Maria is right that Sammy needs to establish the boundaries and relationships with the carer slash friend. It might be an awkward conversation, but sounds like things are getting awkward anyway. Also, carers can often get free slash reduced tickets at events if they're supporting a disabled person. Rebecca, you are wise, and I believe you are now the proud possessor of a delicious bottle of Waitress Number 1 Malbec. Yay, you. Graham's Guide. This is a difficult one. Dear Graham and Maria, I am in a right predicament, exclamation mark. Me and my husband have put an offer in on a new home. Now, the thing is, I'm not in love with this place at all, exclamation mark. I was at first, but after going back, taking measurements and looking at other properties on right move, I think we can get better value for our money. My husband, however, is absolutely enamoured by the house and is really looking forward to moving. We still have time to pull out, but I don't know how to approach the subject with the hubby, as I have not seen him this happy and excited about something in a very long time. Exclamation mark. Any advice on how to approach this would be grand. And that is from Tiffany in Bishop Stortford. I love the name Tiffany. Uh, Well, now, Tiffany in Bishop Stortford, I think this may just be nerves because... It's a lot of money and you're worried about you're not fully in love with it. You know, we all have to compromise with property and that's what people forget. Uh, a lot of money and you don't love it. But once your things are there, you will love it. You loved it enough to put an offer in on it in the first place That because that was a time to say, I'm not sure. However, you can still say to your husband, look, I think we should still look. I found this lovely place on Right Move because we don't know, you know, houses fall through, we may find dry rot or rising damp or one of those other things that make people stop buying houses. So I think it's good to keep looking to see what's out there while we're waiting for this sale to go through. Yes, the house is lovely, but I think we could do better for our money. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying that. Now, if he says, no, we found the house, then that's him being a little bit stuck and saying, I don't want to see anything else because this is the one I've decided on. So I would just broach this gently, but there's nothing wrong with continuing to look until you've signed on the dotted line or certainly exchanged. Uh, Yeah, I think certainly you can't... Don't just walk away from this house. No. Because because the chances of you... The chances of, of your husband liking anything else after you've taken away his dream house 
quite slim. Yeah. Uh, and you haven't seen yes. him this happy for ages. ages. And that says a lot about you, <laughs> Tiffany. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like if you pull out, he'll just take the yeah. house. <laughs> Why don't you look at me the way you look at that house? <laughs> um, I, yes, I also, all those properties on right move that, you know, you think are better value, da, da, there's no guarantee you're going to get them. Mm. Or actually, when you go look at them, you'll go, oh, this is hideous, yeah. actually. It's good to have this one in the bag and the offer has been accepted. And at and least so one you... of you loves it and you don't hate it. No. And I think, you know, when you went to measure, you kind of thought, oh, this isn't as big as I remember it. Will our sofas fit here? Once you're in, I do think there is a little bit of nerves because it is a huge amount of money and it's the most any of us ever spend on any one thing, a house. Um, so just bear that in mind and just try and imagine your own things around there. But also, there's nothing wrong with keeping looking because if you're like me, I would go to visit properties all the time. I know. With no intention of buying. <laughs> We're nuisance viewers. <laughs> we really are. <laughs> They're back. <laughs> Hello. That's again. No, no, I don't want to buy it, but I, uh, please let me look around. Yes, cup of tea would be lovely. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I do have a big muddy dog with me. Isn't it adorable? <laughs> Are you leaving the Arga? <laughs> uh, so, look, Tiffany, I think, keep looking. I think you will be very surprised when you go to see those much better value properties on Right Move that to find that actually they stink of damp and there's something wrong with them. Well, the problem is there's always something wrong with every property because none of us get the whole thing that we want. We want the kind of picture perfect. And so we always have to compromise on something. You've compromised on size and being a bit spendy, but you've got a house. And you're annoyed that your husband is so happy. Yeah, when he doesn't ever show you that happiness. I think yeah. there's more to this letter than meets yes. the I, eye. Let me stop his happiness. <laughs> Don't throw out the baby with the bath water, as my grandmother used to say. If there's room for a bath. <laughs> the shower. Yeah. The shower water. Don't, yeah. the, 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 the cloakroom sink water with the baby. What should she do? Uh Right, Gareth in Clapham. Oh, Tiffany, I've been there and done that. Hold on to the one with the offer. Graham is right, just because those ones on right move are there doesn't mean you'll get them. And the thing is, if you walk away from this and then, I mean, your husband will never forgive you if you end up in some, you know, it just... Oof. Lisa's in Cambridge. Uh, Tiffany... Move into the new house. A home is what you make it, and once your own belongings are in there, you can put your own stamp on it and enjoy making some happy memories there. It's not unusual for one person to be more reluctant when faced with a big life move. Go with it. And in the end, you know, it's not going to be hell. You're not moving into a coal bunker or anything. It's a perfectly nice house. I mean, it can't be horrible. If your husband loves it, and you love him, and he loves you, uh, it can't be horrible. So, yeah, you're just having cold feet, I'd say. Uh, Serena is in Bushy. I still... <laughs> Not helping, Serena. I still dislike the house I had doubts about buying with my husband four years ago. But we are happy, and that's the main thing. Yay! Bitter and texting the radio about it, but happy. Dear Tiffany, too much choice is the killer of joy. Right, put that in a T-shirt. Wow. Uh, too much choice is the killer of joy. Uh, to support your husband as you don't hate this new house, if you find in a year or so you don't like it, you can always move again. Compromise. Give yourself a chance to fall back in love with this new home. Well done, Stephen Bizbeach. Uh, Nula is in Surrey. Go and see the property again with your husband and see how you both feel to cement the this decision. Good luck. 
Um, ba, 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 ba. I'm going to give the bottle of waitress number one Malbec to Lisa in Cambridge. That's who's getting that, I tell you. The Graham Norton Radio Show Podcast. Virgin Radio. Kieran Culkin joins us now. Uh, Succession Season 3 will be available on demand on Monday on Sky and also on Now TV. Kieran Culkin, welcome to uh, Virgin Radio. Hello, thank you. Uh, now, uh, so Season 3, mm. uh, I mean, being part of Succession, because it's one of those shows that people don't like. I mean, they <laughs> love it they kind of suck the bones of it um so how what's the gap is it two years since we last saw you i believe yeah almost exactly wow kind of nuts and how much of that is pandemic and how much of that is just like they need to write it uh yeah a year i think i i don't i don't i don't really know i think yeah we were, uh, we were postponed about a year okay and the end of season two i was saying on the wireless earlier the that end of season two is one of the best bits of telly I've ever seen. I mean, it's just amazing. So at that point, do you have any clue when, when they kind of go cut end of that seat? Do you have any clue what's happening after that? Does anyone know? No, ab- absolutely not. I get so excited when the script comes in. Um, just like a nerd. I, I'm like, <laughs> oh, what, what's going to happen? And it picks up, it picks up uh, right where we left off. Even though we shot it about a year or so later. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was... Luckily, I'm so jealous of myself. They sent me through some preview. Yeah. Uh, by the way, how many episodes are there? Nine this year. Oh, curses. They yeah. sent me seven, which is cruel, I feel. I got sent seven, too. I have not seen... I, I just, last night, watched the second one. So okay. that's, that's as far as I'm caught up. Yeah. And I've kind of forgot what we shot, so I'm not really caught up. <laughs> And also, you're not in at all, so there must be lots of stuff you're seeing for the first so time. So much stuff, and there's a lot of things that are written last minute. Like, there, there are things that are written the morning that you shoot. Uh, there are changes happening all the time, so I... And I also don't pay attention to what's, you know, happening with Kendall or whatever. So, <laughs> when I watch the episode, I have no idea what that scene is going to be. Because I think viewers like to think there's some sort of great big brain that, that there's a huge story arc mm-hmm. happening over years that no. is not true no no <laughs> you hear the little conspiracy theories there's like people that i've um, met I've, I've had people call me into meetings that i'm thinking are professional like i'm going to have a job or something but really they want me to come in the office because they want to just let out their theory that like all the siblings were in on that press conference or something <laughs> like there's some big plan ahead which is not really how the show works because you get nervous for the writers because they really write themselves into corners where mm-hmm. like yeah that dramatically that's brilliant bit of television but now you've got to keep going yeah what happens now, now now figure your way out of that corner yeah i have no yeah i don't know how the hell they do it i'm petrified doing the show if i'm honest because <laughs> i don't even know where the hell it's going yes yeah, so i asked you- i asked to not know too because i i really don't i think there's an idea of like the end i think there's an idea of an end game but i don't know if they really know how they're going to get there so is there one more season or what's the story i know that there's at least one more oh yeah i I'm, I'm hearing two more I would like to. I would like two plus more, please. Uh, yeah, you're a father now. <laughs> yeah, please. seven seven seasons, please. To feed. Yeah, I, would, I would like to provide for my children. Yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. And in terms of the show, I was watching it. Is there a budget? I mean, it just seems like whatever you want to do, you can do. Helicopters, planes, shutting down cities. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's incredible what they what they do. Yeah, and the locations we get to go to, like even, even this season with like 
COVID and the lockdown, it was it was pretty tight. It was a lot of in studio, and I think the the goal was to get us to Tuscany, which they did, which I'm sure cost them a pretty penny. Well, because in the last season, when you went to Scotland, I was watching. Oh, I wonder where in America is going to pretend to be Scotland. No, yeah. <laughs> Every, and also, I thought, oh well, they just fly a couple of people to stand in front of a building. No, you all went to Scotland. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which Scotland must have known what hit it, like sort of a huge HBO production coming to town. Yeah, we we like to ruin cities, <laughs> like to get there and just ruin it. Yeah. And what is it? Because I was uh, something struck me when I watched it initially. I found it kind of resistible. I kind of thought, I don't like these people. I don't want to spend time with these people. And then I came back to it, and I don't know whether the world had changed or I changed. Right now cannot get enough what do you you must have you know you must talk about this what is the appeal of these very unappealing people i'll tell you i have no idea (laughs) and i'm like i'm a fan of the show like i'm actually a big fan of the show and when it comes to that thing like uh what is it that makes me watch i I really don't know and it's sort of it's, it's a weird thing to say and i probably shouldn't say it and they probably don't want me to say it but when I watch the show from the beginning, the first few episodes, I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, like I get it. It's quality. It's well shot. Um, it's it's very well written. I'm very good in it. Yeah, I'm I'm fantastic. Uh, but the, there's something mid season one that grabs me. Some somewhere around episode five or six, and I still haven't identified what that thing is. But I'm really interested to see where these characters are going. I really want to see where the story's going. But at the beginning, it's it's sort of a hard pitch to say to someone, like, look, I know there's a lot of TV out there, um, and you're probably going to have to watch about four or five hours before this thing gets good. Um, <laughs> but that, that to me, is... And when I've when I've talked to people that are big fans of the show, that, that seems to be sort of uh, a common... Yeah. Yeah, opinion. Well, one of the things I love is, like, is the stakes are so high... And so low at the same time. You know, you'll all still be rich. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's... When, yeah. <laughs> that's sort of true. Uh, that's funny. Like, when I think, oh, this could go really bad for the character, um, they can retire and be fine. Yeah. Like, they need never... No one needs to work again. Yeah. <laughs> Calm down, everyone. <laughs> uh, oh, very quickly, I just... I, I went into a sort of rabbit hole. Knowing you were coming on today, I went into a kind of rabbit hole of podcasts last night. Oh. What's the thing... There's a thing you 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 as an actor were doing a physical thing you did, and it, and the fans made you self conscious about doing it. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. It was I think it's when the uncle is there, and you 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 kind of changed your physicality when you were around him, and then you thought, no, I'm I, I'm going to fight that, and then you went ahead and did it anyway. No. <sighs> no, this isn't. I can't. In the show. Yeah, in the show. An uncle. Yeah. <laughs> It was an acting choice you were making that you weren't aware of, and then the fans kind of made you self-conscious about it. No, you don't. You, what is it? I don't know. I made it up. I don't know. You maybe you made it up. I made it. I'm just trying to confuse I, you. Yeah, you are. People <laughs> may have said something like, "How come Roman can't sit?" I'm like, "What do you mean?" It's like, "Oh, you know, Roman doesn't sit right." Now I'm looking at the show, going, "Oh yeah, I guess I don't ever properly sit in a chair. Leave me alone." Like, just, I don't know. I'm not thinking about it. <laughs> that might be it. Uh, Polly and Leeds has been in touch. She wants to know. Who do you think should be running Logan Roy's empire? Uh, Logan. 
<laughs> I, I think I think he's doing a fantastic job. I'm, I'm, I'll, if I'm to speak as Roman, yes. Uh, if it has to be passed down to someone, um, yeah, I'm gonna go with Roman. Okay. I I, I yeah. think he can handle it. The weird thing is, I think a lot of people think you're the youngest, but you're not. Not. Yeah, Shiv. Yeah. I I, I stop I stop correcting people. <laughs> Because Shiv seems much more mature than your character. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that, <laughs> <laughs> people think that of uh, Snook and myself too. Yes, but also you, your character, that arc that you've been on. Because in the beginning, it seems so unlikely that your character would care mm. that you'd want to be involved, and yet now, by you know the start of season three, you are you are really invested in this thing. Yeah, I guess I would uh, sort of chalk that up to. Um, Roman not thinking that uh, things will change at the beginning. You know, I think, like, he never really considered that his dad might actually one day die or retire. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, at the start of the show, he, you know, might almost die. I think that that sort of shows that, okay, this might actually be happening soon. Time to step up. And to to Roman, I think it's a little bit more of a competition with, like, a sibling rivalry likely he's trying to actually just beat his siblings yeah to get there instead of like oh step up and take the spot he's earned it's like I want to beat you (laughs) I want to win Jason and Carlisle talking about how uh, funny and witty the show is he loves it Uh, do you guys ever add lib lines at all or is it like super scripted it, I mean it's very scripted it's 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 written but um, we're encouraged to like improvise and play around but to me the imp- improvisation is more to like the, the camera's roll at the end of a scene and for me it's a little bit more about um uh it helps me inform what the characters are are how they interact like like what's happening in between scenes but uh, occasionally something sort of slips in but you know it's written it's not like we get to like make up what's happening in the story or anything like that yeah but sometimes they let roman like rip like you you, you abuse extras and things yeah, that one's fun. When when they when they go like, oh, Roman gets mad and you know yells at someone, then that means I get to like yell at a background actor who is contractually not allowed to say anything back to me. It's really unfair. I have like a character that's written for me, and I get to shout at someone who just cannot come back at me. What a fun job. Uh, was it written for you, or did you kind of audition for this? How did it happen? I was actually sent the script to read for the character Greg, Cousin Greg, and I just didn't feel right for it. Uh, so uh, I should have, but otherwise, in any other case, would have just closed the script and said, not for me, I'm not going to play Greg. But I really like the writing enough to just go, I want to see how it ends. I wasn't even trying to read to like see if there was another part for me. I was just like, I just want to see how it ends. And then I thought, oh, I can maybe audition for this part. Uh, and I asked, like, can I audition for Roman? And the response I got back was, oh, we're not reading Romans yet. And I just said, screw that. I'm putting myself on tape. I picked out three scenes, put myself on tape, and sent it in. My understanding is they didn't they didn't even, like, audition Romans. So Wow. Just sent it in. I was pretty, yeah, aggressive about it. I just really Kieran wanted wants, it. Kieran wants, Kieran gets. That's, I mean, that... <laughs> That's amazing. And, I mean, yeah, because you're right. You wouldn't. I mean, yeah. I mean, now it seems crazy that they ever considered you for Greg. Yeah, I couldn't even put myself on tape for that. I couldn't even try. I think they were like, "Could you just audition anyway?" No, I couldn't even try. Not right for that. Yeah. Nick Braun. Yeah, I'm he's so, great. So good. I mean, you sort of think uh, somehow he'll end up 
running the whole thing. That sure. Yeah, my mom thinks that. That's my that's my mom's theory. She goes, "That guy's gonna take over." I'm like, I I maybe. Yeah. Well, it's a bit no. like is it Chance the Gardener? You know, who becomes the. It's a bit like that where he just hangs around knowing nothing and yeah. It could it could I, it's conceivable. Yeah. We yeah. mustn't talk about it because then, then they'll hear us saying this and then they'll think, well, now we can't do that because people think... Oh. See, yeah, it's a lot more like that instead of what, you know, this big conspiracy theory. There's a, there's a big end game. Maybe there is. Maybe we should ask Jesse. Maybe he has an idea. Maybe he knows. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, Phil wants to know, would, do you think you'd ever go back to the stage? Because you have done stage work. Is, yeah. there, is there a play you kind of have an eye on? Uh, not a specific play, but actually my... Uh, big goal for me is to get back out here and do a play on the West End. Um, my wife is from London and I keep trying to convince her that we can move here and live here, but she doesn't want to do that. Because uh, she has. She's she's already <laughs> lived here. She's like, she, she moved to New York. Like. Yeah, yeah. She's, and she and I'm trying to get here back here and she's trying to get to California. It's a big debate, but I'm trying, if I feel like if I can do something uh, on the West End again, um, that would make me very happy. And we can live here for a small... Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah maybe that's yeah. either my way of convincing her, like, see, we can live here, or we did it for a little bit, and then we get to go home. And when it comes to succession, I mean, is it your life? Can you do other things, or does it take up so much time you can't? It does take up a great bit of time. Like, you know, the, this past season took about eight, nine months of the year and then right when it ended we had our um, second kid so I'm on what I call paternity leave for like a few months and then uh, I think there's a small window to work if I want to but I don't really feel the pressure to do that because I know there's you know season four coming yeah. up and it's great work so you've got a very nice job thank you very much yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much Jerry listen uh, it's been lovely 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 talking to you thank you very much for coming into the building London, you, you want to live here? There it is. There it is. Yeah, I'm looking at the window right now. Grey, drizzly London. Sunny London. Yeah. yeah, there it is. Yeah, you head out there. You enjoy that. <laughs> That's what you wanted. That's what we're giving you. Uh, season three of Succession will be available on demand on Monday on Sky and on Now TV. Kieran Culkin, thank you so much for coming in to see us. Thank you. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. It is time for my second guest of the day. Uh, Jeffrey Boacci has written a book called Musical Truth and he joins us now. Hello. Hello. So the, good to be here. I know. In the actual building, in the actual flesh. <laughs> in I got such life. a shock when you walked in. I thought you were going to be on the line. <laughs> I could call in if you want and just do it yeah. down the phone. Could you go outside and phone yeah, me? Exactly. Thank you very Hello. much. <laughs> yeah. No, I wonder why they were cleaning up a storm and I thought, well, oh, they're doing a wonderful job. <laughs> I mean, yeah. How many lurgies did uh, Kieran Culkin have? But no. <laughs> Apparently, it's for all all for you. I've, I've cleaned my hands, so I'm lucky free. Good, good, good. This book, it's a musical history of modern black Britain in 28 songs. It's such a clever idea. Thank you. Um, one, how did you come up with the idea? Two, why that period of time? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. three, uh, how did you pick the songs? All right, lovely. Go. Three questions. All right, go, go. One, how did you come up with I wanted to do a book about black British history. I'm a teacher, so I kind of wanted to speak to generations younger than me. And I figured that a straight history book would be okay, but music is something that is just a huge part of my life. And I realised that it's sort of, when you track music, it's the soundtrack to your life, but it sort of comments on what's happening around you at mm. the same time. Therefore, it's a history book. It's a playlist that tells you about what's happening politically and so on. So that was the idea for the conceit, question one. Question two, 
was uh, how did I go to that window? Yeah. Now, obviously, black people have been in this country for as long as there have been like coins with rich people's faces on them, you know. But there's something important about the post-war and that arrival of the Windrush generation and then the West Africans in the 70s. And that's kind of my window too. So I wanted to sort of give a context to now in the kind of immediate context of the 20th century. You know, what yeah. does it mean to be black and British now? So I had to start roughly post-war. Yeah. So that's that. 28 songs, that was an almost an impossible thing. Like, how how does anyone limit it to 28 songs? I just tried to tell the right stories, Graham. That well, was the thing. I guess it was easier. Was it easier when you were back in the 40s? Because, yeah. you know... I'm not that old. No, but that's what I mean. <laughs> so you're thinking, well, uh, let's find out what, what, yeah, was, yeah, what was we played yeah, then. Yeah. Whereas once you come up into the 90s and the noughties, exactly. then you're thinking, oh, too many, too many. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's right. The earlier stuff, it was more of a kind of, let me just research what happened and find some tracks that speak to that moment. But as you get into my own biography, then I really had to start um, filtering you know my yeah. own my own playlist and it is a book for anyone but what age could you start reading it yeah well i'm going to give the smart answer here right that you could start reading it i think at any age maybe like 8 you know but it speaks to it speaks to the kid and everyone that's what i was trying to do so the way i wrote it i just wanted to speak to the adolescent or the burgeoning adolescent in everyone who at some point was experiencing the world for the first time usually through music that's yeah. my plan. And the chapters, it's a playlist. Yeah. Is Does the playlist exist somewhere? Can we go and... It does. There's a www somewhere in the book, like musical truth playlist dot something. Um, I've probably completely garbled that, <laughs> but it definitely exists. And there's a and there's a Spotify thing somewhere too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, I was dipping in and, you know, you you see songs you love. Yeah. And you think, oh. I love So, that. like, I went to Buffalo Stance. Okay. And what's, I mean, and that's what I mean about how clever it is. So you take that song and then from that you extrapolate that's it all these points about how black history isn't just black yeah, history or yeah. white history or the multiculturalism of, of yeah. Buffalo Stance and Nana Cherry I love that because you've got this immediate reaction because there's a bit of nostalgia there's recognition but then it's a jumping off point to like much bigger conversations about in that instance identity and what it means to be mixed and how uh, culture can be lots of different things at the same time and in that song in particular you can hear it it's like an audio stew of everything happening in yeah you know, punk, hip-hop, electronic, dance, and it's all thrown in. And that gives us something to think about in terms of what does it mean to be black and British and mixed and so on at that point. Yeah, and things like I never knew. So, I mean, as a, as a I never knew, and I'm old, so for a young person, <laughs> it would blow their mind, that idea of the, was it 2,000 brown babies at the end of the yeah, war? Yeah, 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 two, yeah, 2,000 brown. They were conceived, you know, um, a lot of black American GIs came over to the UK, had a great time mixing and mingling. Lots of brown babies, as they were called, I'm doing the air quotes here, people, um, were conceived and born. But then the black GIs had to go back to America and legally they weren't actually allowed to like marry these white British women. So the babies were just abandoned. Was that the American law? Yeah, yeah. It was was a real situation of racism in America, obviously racism all over the world, but it had an absolute impact upon people's lived experiences. And that was one of the real tragedies because these so-called brown babies, they were kind of abandoned and a lot of them ended up in homes and they were the victims of racism, discrimination and just kind of being lost. Now, we should mention your uh, special. You have a special. I do, I do. I have a special on Virgin Radio UK. 
coming up. Thank you very much. We are one. We, we are one. We are one, one family. There yes. are no accidents in this, <laughs> in this, in this story. Uh, so that's next, not that's, this Sunday, next Sunday. Exactly, the following at, Sunday. At 10 o'clock. And how many of the 28 songs do we get to hear? I go through a selection of, I think, top of my head, I think it's about eight or so, but okay. I might be wrong. Yeah, so, so we go on a bit of the journey. And you tell the stories around those I songs. I tell the stories around the songs and talk about the songs themselves and give a bit of a history lesson you can dance to. Yeah. And, I mean, are you touring this book? Are you are you going to schools with it and things like yeah, that? Yeah, all that's happening. Um, kind of doing a lot of stuff online, but a lot of the festivals and getting into schools and so on, that, that's all happening. So we're going to go on for another big push now, obviously in Black History Month, but this is something which you want to kind of keep the conversation moving with. I feel like there's there must be so many applications of this idea yeah yeah that you could take lots of bits of social history and yeah. then do it with songs absolutely i mean to me it feels like a no-brainer if someone just loved music their whole life you can take something you want to talk about or explore and just think about what soundtracks it so you could do it with almost anything graham let your mind wander i know well, really <laughs> uh, amy in liverpool is asking okay 28 songs is there one you would pick one out of the 28? Yeah. That is a huge question. Yeah. Um, possibly Buffalo Stance by Nana Cherry. Is that just because I mentioned it? It's not just because you mentioned it, and it's right at the front of my brain right now. It's just because it's such... I love the eclecticism of it in a good way, because what it shows, it, what it proves is that British identity is really eclectic and multifaceted and quite edgy in the sense that maybe traditionalists would rather it isn't. And that song feels to me like a real sense of modern Britain. It's got so much going on. It's so vibrant and it's so mixed in a way that I think that Britain is. Yeah. And was that, Tre it was Trevor Horn, wasn't it? Yeah, was, yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So uh, I'm, We're playing it next week. Oh, yeah, yeah, next week. Yeah. Okay. No, no, because I, I was in the book <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, because yeah, I think, oh, well, we must play that, must play that. Bit of soul to soul. There's <laughs> loads good. of it. Yeah. The whole thing. 28 songs, a lot to fit in there. Yeah. It really, well, yeah, we won't, we won't play them all. We, we won't play them all. And your special uh, musical group next Sunday at 10 o'clock. Uh, let's talk about Eddie Grant. Yeah. And uh, his story and his place. Exactly, in, exactly. In Huge recording artist, loads of hits. Um, but what's important about um, Eddie Grant's song, Electric Avenue, is that first of all, I didn't realise how close it was to home for me because I grew up in Brixton. So I would go to Electric Avenue shopping with my mum and I didn't realise it was the same place he was talking about well, it's in funny song. It, that's so funny because I remember going to Brixton yeah. and I went, oh, it's a real street. Yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I just thought it was a cool name yeah, for it's a, like a song. Cool, yeah, yeah, precisely. So when I realised that as a kid, I thought, all right. But I didn't even think about the political stuff until years later because it's 1981. I'm 1982, so it predates me by a whole year. And what's happening in 1981 is that you've got severe social tensions in Brixton. You've got the riots slash uprisings which are taking place because in the same year, there were like 6,000 arrests using the, the sus laws. So there were just these tensions between the black community in Brixton and the police. And that's what the song is all about. But again, the beauty of it is that it's also celebrating something. It's not just trauma, you know, it's, it's about oppression and resistance, but it's got a forward energy. And it asks that crucial question, kind of, and then we'll take it higher. I love that lyric. Because what does it mean? We'll take it higher. Does that mean we're going to escalate this? Are we going to rise above this? You know, it's beautifully ambiguous. It's a, to me, it's a pop classic. But also, isn't there a weird thing with political songs where that actually you don't have... <sighs> Kind of the problem with them, in a way, is you can just listen to them. You yeah, can just be yeah. on the wireless and say, oh, I like this. Yeah, and yeah. you're not thinking, no, actually, what it's about is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. I know exactly what you mean, that for, you know, even in my life, it was just a song that I would hear and think, oh, that's cool. But then there's something about the, even the tonal quality of it. It's quite 
crunchy. It's got all these synths and like weird, like grungy guitars. So even whilst you're enjoying it, it's kind of getting into your head that there's a bit of a tension there. Yeah. And I think that that will sit in your brain, even if you're not, you know, analysing the lyrics to write essays on the kind of thing that weird people like me do when they write books about it. Yeah. And also, I suppose, as a kid, for you, you know, seeing black music stars, oh, yeah. it was one of the few areas yeah. where you would see yourself. You've got to think, oh, I can succeed at 100%, that. 100%. Like, you know, in the 80s and 90s, there are about, you know, 12 black people on TV, full stop, you know. So having these kind of role models who were bringing their stories, our stories, into the mainstream, it's a really important moment. And listen, Musical Truth is out now in hardback and the programme, as I say, is on Virgin next Sunday at 10 o'clock. Thank you so much for coming in to see us. Take care of yourself, sir. Cheers. Still to come, head judge Shirley Ballas joins us to talk about her autobiography, Behind the Sequence, and Tracy Ann Oberman gives us an insight into the new season of Sandyland and her great role in Ridley Road. Before all that, we see what Martha has been up to in the kitchen. Right, Martha, you are going to set up what I will be eating, what later? Is it cooking now? It's currently cooking. Oh, I, <laughs> won't, I won't action. keep you. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to be eating burnt food, Martha Collison. Don't worry, it's at a good stage. It's at a good stage to be left. Okay, what, what are you making? <laughs> so I am making today some beer braised sausages with onions and ginger. That sounds delicious. Mm. What is that served with, Martha? It's going to be served with some mashed potato. Excellent. And a little bit of cabbage. Mm. Proper winter warmer, this one. Very hearty. Um, the, um, I imagine Kieran Culkin would like to eat some of that before he leaves. <laughs> that sounds like traditional British fare, but is. with a bit of ginger <laughs> stuck inside it. Yeah. Uh, what sort of sausages? Are they just regular sausages? These are Waitrose number one um, Hampshire bread pork sausages. Just pretty simple. There's so many flavours going on in the sauce that I've gone for something simple. But the recipe is a recipe by Diana Henry, and she actually suggests you could also use a beef sausage, Oh. which I couldn't find any. Why, Diana? But I thought a nice <laughs> idea. Nice idea, something different. I've never heard of a beef sausage. Yeah, they're quite unusual. Yeah. But, yeah, there was beef chipolatas in Waitrose, but I wanted the big, fat sausages, because if they're going to be braised, you want them nice and juicy. I thank you for that, Martha <laughs> Godson. How, when you say it's in their cooking way, how long does it take? So the recipe, like, kind of end-to-end is about an hour, and the braising situation will be about half an hour. So they've just gone in, and then when I bring them out on my trolley in half an hour or so, you can have a little taste. But there is one interesting ingredient in the sauce, and I won't tell you what it is, because I'll see if you can taste it. It's a baked good that goes into the, the sauce. Is it a sweet thing? It is a sweet thing. I'll give you a clue. It's a type of biscuit. Oh. Mm, I know. Oh, I wasn't going with biscuit. I was going to go like marmalade or jam or something. Yeah, no, it's an actual baked item. A baked item? There's a biscuit in this. There's a biscuit in this. Would you believe it? Uh, I really wouldn't. What, do you crumble it up? or does You it... do. So I'll, I'll talk you through the recipe. Okay, go, go, go. So first of all, you get yourself a pan, a bit of butter and a bit of oil in there as well. Mm-hmm. Brown off your sausages because the sausage is going to be braised, but you don't want them just to be kind of boiled in their own skins. You want them no. to be a bit browned and caramelised. They come out the pan, your onions go in and cook in the juices for about 10 minutes. And then you go in with your beer. So you want a dark beer, so something nice and kind of with deep flavour. And then in goes three ginger nut biscuits. Oh. Crumbled in. It's actually very clever. So Diana Henry's written this recipe and she is the master of flavour. Um, but it's very clever because it gives you that gingery flavour yes. without having to go to all the effort of peeling the ginger. And it also thickens up the sauce and adds a little bit of sweetness. Yeah. Honestly, now that you say it, of mm. course. <laughs> now that you, so there's no actual ginger in here? No, just ginger nuts. 
That is genius. It's really clever, because otherwise you'd be adding flour, sugar, ginger, probably a few other things. But actually, just one little biscuit, crumble it, and you can have one with a cup of tea whilst you're making it as well. Delicious. And served <laughs> with mash and cabbage. I mean, yeah. this is a crowd pleaser. It really is. And then the last thing that goes in is your stock. Then you let it simmer for 20 minutes. It thickens up into this deliciously thick gravy. Serve over some mash and dash your dinner. Oh, lovely. <laughs> just listen to Kieran Colton talking and then eat it. Uh, if you'd like that recipe, you just go to the Instagram account at Virgin Radio UK and you tap away till it brings you somewhere and you'll find the recipe. <laughs> uh, that is delicious, Martha. Thank I will see you tomorrow morning. Sweet or savoury tomorrow? Uh, it is another savoury tomorrow. Mm, looking forward. Thank you very much, <laughs> Martha Collison. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, a lot of reaction I was saying to you uh, while Adele was, uh, you know, connecting emotionally with the lyric. Uh, to ginger nut biscuits yesterday mm. in that, uh, in the sausage sauce. Yeah, brazy bit. Sausage. Yeah, <laughs> I know. People loved it, I think. Yeah. I think. Well, it's a really <laughs> clever thing because you don't have to mess up your kitchen, grating mm. ginger, getting flour, sorting out sugar. It's all in a biscuit. Yeah. yeah, it's a clever tip from Diane Henry. Really clever. All right, what have we got today? So today we've got something savoury, vegetarian. This is a spiced carrot and goat's cheese jalousie tart with a herb salad. Jalousie tart, mm, you say? I know. Quite <laughs> unusual. I must admit, I made a jalousie tart when I was doing home economics home economics at school oh, and I've not heard of one or made one since <laughs> and then today it popped up and I thought oh it's back so it looks like uh it looks like a giant sort of catering sausage roll <laughs> yeah it's like so apparently jalousie is called a jalousie tart because it's a type of blind which I didn't know because I'm not very well versed in the world of curtains and blinds I could see that being but, a Venetian is that like a Venetian I, blind I mean I think so so Basically, when you're making it, the top has got all these slits in it, so that it's quite good because it means the filling gets a little bit brown. It's not just kind of all tucked in. Mm. Um, so it's little slits. It looks a bit like a strudel, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, apparently when you pull that across the top and it looks like a ladder, it looks like a Venetian blind, which is why they call it the, well, jalousy blind tart. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be juicy when you see my tart. Um, it looks, uh, this looks hard to make. It's not too hard. And the trick is... And I think it's the thing that most chefs are secretly slightly ashamed of, but also no one does it the other way, is that it's a uh, shop-bought puff pastry. Does, nobody makes that, do they? Because nobody makes it. I mean, you can make it, but it takes hours. And actually, <laughs> most of the time, it, it's better from the shop anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also, no one's going to, you know, if, if, you, if you give this to guests, no one's going to go... Oh. Shop you bought. didn't make the puff pastry. <laughs> Shop bought puff pastry. <laughs> I mean, the only place they expect it is on the Great British Bake Off. But apart from that, <laughs> oh. then you you just want to buy it. It takes the way they make it mechanically with all the layers of butter is so clever. And doing that, you just can't get the same results by hand. So buy the puff pastry, and then the rest of it is quite straightforward. And you get a lovely kind of this is a proper centerpiece thing. If you're having a roast for your kind of meat eating guests and you want something good to go alongside for your vegetarian friends, I think this is a really good option. Mm. The meat eaters will be jalousy when they see it. <laughs> okay. Uh, right, I'm going to eat this and then find out how to make it. Do you know what? It's one of those things. I could taste neither carrots nor goat's cheese in that, but it's delicious. Intriguing. What, what would you describe it as? It reminds me of something. 
maybe uh, a spice carrot and goat's cheese. <laughs> I don't, the, the filling reminded me, but it's full of flavour. Mm. And the, the little herb salad is really zingy and fresh mm. and kind of cuts through the kind of the more solid, um, kind of satisfying. Yeah, buttery. Uh, it's quite yeah. a, it's a hearty vegetarian tart. It's not one of those light summery tarts that no, just no. disappears. Yeah, this, like is, a- this is a winter's, a winter's <laughs> evening, glass yeah. of red wine. No one's going home hungry. Yeah. Sure. Uh, okay. What do we do? What do we do? So you want to start off with your carrots. So these carrots, they're Sweet Kingdom carrots and you want to grate them. Um, so you don't actually need to peel. Car- these carrots have a particularly fine skin and actually most carrots, they don't necessarily need peeling. Just give them a good scrub in the sink so okay. that they're not dirty. All right. And then grate them and you get that little bit of extra flavour from around where the skin is. So you want to grate those all up and they go into a frying pan with some shallots and a little bit of ginger, a bit of garlic and the coriander stalks. We're using the coriander leaves in our herb salad, but the stalks go in at the beginning and they're really aromatic add lots of flavour so you fry those all up for about 10 minutes until nice and soft and then some zatar herb seasoning which Hello. is mm, which is where I think a lot of the flavour comes from because that's got things like oregano and sesame and sumac in there which really adds a lot of flavour so two teaspoons of that goes in have I forgotten anything walnuts so walnuts for a bit of texture and then that gets left to cool down then you put preheat your oven, take out your puff pastry, slice it in half so that one can be kind of put over the top of the other with the special little pattern Oh yes. Um, that you make with your knife. It's a bit like making one of those pop-up cards, if you ever did that, like, at school, for, like, Christmas cards. You're so crafty, bits. Martha Collison. <laughs> no, I never no. did that. <laughs> or they're little snowflakes in the window where you're cutting the bits oh, out. Oh, okay, yes, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like that. It's like that. It's like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's like that, yeah. So then you spread your soft goat cheese in the bottom, pile the carrot on the top, pastry, bit of egg wash and then in the oven. Oh, isn't that funny? I I would assumed the goat cheese must be in the filling because mm. I didn't really taste the goat cheese. So the goat cheese is a whole layer underneath. Yeah, it's spread on the bottom, but it's one of those really, it's that soft, spreadable kind rather than the big crumbly lumps. Well, I actually think the lumps would work nicely as well, actually, to crumble on. Yeah, but the recipe's in this week's Waitrose weekend. Um, if anyone fancies having a look. Okay, and oh, how long do you put it in the oven for? How long? So it's 20 minutes. So it's actually quite oh, quick. Oh, that is, because it, yes, it looks like a lot more work went into it than that. Yeah, yeah, so 20 minutes in the oven, and then whilst it's cooking, you can make this little herb salad, which is just leaves of coriander and parsley, a bit of pomegranate molasses, orange juice, olive oil, and a bit of garlic. And it makes a lovely tangy, like punchy salad. It looks very innocent, but actually it's got a really strong flavour. Yeah, flavor. it really <laughs> zings and cuts through. It's delicious. If you fancy having a go at making the spice carrot and goat's cheese jalousie with a herb salad, uh, as Martha says, it's in the Waitress Weekend magazine. But also if you go to our Instagram account at Virgin Radio UK and just stab away at things, uh, eventually <laughs> something will lead you to that recipe, uh, the promised land. Uh, I'll see you next weekend. Mm-hmm. Have a great week. Oh, are you back next weekend? I will be back. Okay. You can tell us all about your exciting trip oh yeah don't don't spoil it don't tell us now okay we'll find out next week (laughs) oh the adventures all right have a lovely week we'll talk to you then the graham norton radio show with waitrose you can taste when it's waitrose virgin radio she's here ladies and gentlemen shirley bass i feel we should have the strictly theme tune but we're not that organized (laughs) (laughs) it's a bit late to think of it now Uh, how are you i'm very well how are you I very well. I imagine on a Sunday morning, Shirley Bass propped up on several big pillows, you know, chewing chocolates in a, in a, in a, fla- in a flouncy bed jacket. But no, here you are, out, work, work, work. Well, got up this morning, had the hair in pink curls, left 45 <laughs> minutes to get ready, and I'm here, fresh as a daisy, as you said. Well, fresher than my guest yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, uh, how strictly going this year? The standard seems super high. 
Well, to be honest, I think this is probably about the most difficult show to judge ever because right from week one, the level was high. I mean, we've just finished week four and it's really, really is difficult. I don't know who's going to go home and it's... They're all good. They all bring something unique to the table. Yeah. Like some of the bad ones on another year would be kind of middling. They'd be okay. Yeah, six and, week six and seven. Yeah. But that's not the case this time. Where somebody might lack in a little rhythm, they make up in personality. You know, so it's uh, it's across the board this time. And it could go any way depending on what dance you get each week. So just because you think somebody is safe, they're not safe. Yeah, well, it is interesting. I mean, even, you know, Johannes and uh, John, who have been, you know, riding high, just, you know, amazing. People weren't so mad about them last night. Yeah, it, it you know, it was a different kind of performance. You know, American Smooth is a little bit in closed hold. It's a little bit in open hold. But there was a lot of content. So I rather enjoyed it. But I think, again, anybody can go in that bottom too, particularly if people aren't voting. And afterwards, did you, did the judges talk, you know, like that weird thing with, um, oh, Gordon Ramsay's daughter, is it Tilly? Tilly. Tilly. Um, and the new professional she's with. Um, so there was a, re- I mean, it was like Craig saw something else. Did you talk about it afterwards? And, and did you, did you understand what he was talking about? It will be addressed on the results show. Let's Ooh. put it that way. Tune in. Um <laughs> I thought she did an amazing Pasadoblia. She had a great shift of weight. It was powerful. She was focused. I mean, week four, total beginner. Obviously takes great direction, is a good student. Had all the elements of Pasadoble from a basic point of view. Thought she did remarkably well. And is it uh, AJ? She's got another new... Uh, professional, oh, I can't remember his name now. Is it Nick? No, he's he's a, he's a dark-haired guy. Dark-haired guy. He's English. Um, oh, oh what is his name? <laughs> oh, just what I was. I mean, I, I have nothing to say about him except he doesn't look like a dancer. He looks like a big bloke, uh, but he can really move around the floor. It's extraordinary. Well, I think with AJ, she may be the one to watch. She's definitely again a beginner, and she takes great instruction and she takes great criticism and she goes away and she works on it. They all actually are spending more hours than probably necessarily they need to spend but nobody wants to go home and everybody wants to be in the final. Uh, Obviously we want no spoilers surely for the results tonight. Uh, Do you have to use your casting vote tonight? You can tell (laughs) us that. Can Can I? Yeah you can tell us that. Are you sure? Yeah you can tell us that. I won't get in trouble. No. No, I don't have to use my casting vote today. Ooh. Thank you, people. Thank you, public. <laughs> I love you all, each and every one. Uh, behind the sequence is the name of your autobiography. It came out last year in hardback. Now it's in paperback. And it, Now, is it true that you are in talks to turn this book into a musical? I'm actually really in shock, to be honest. Yes, a producer from the United States got in touch with my team and now there's about 10 levels and it takes about four or five years to get a show on Broadway. But we've already, like, passed stage three and four, so talking about different things and it's been insightful, I'm on all the meetings, but they think the story is definitely um, a possibility for Broadway and the West End. I mean... In fairness, it is an extraordinary story, uh, your life. And um, what I, what's lovely is that I get to sit here looking at you now, so happy, so well, you've got this great job, this wonderful career. That didn't need to be the end of this book. I mean, the beginning, there are so many bits in the beginning where you just, your heart's in your mouth, and you think, oh, no, because... Yeah, like, do you look back when you read about, you know, things like your experience with the, the guy Sammy who kind of, you know, 
that's it's I mean it's not dark as I say because it's all had a happy ending but when you look back do you think what the hell was going on then I actually do and I think it was like if you could imagine the most complicated maze ever and you're moving and then you think you're going to turn left but it's blocked so you have to find another direction I always felt my life was like a very complicated maze or like swimming upstream it's got twists and turns it's got intrigue um it's got obviously all that with my brother that was very very difficult and marriages that didn't work out which I blame myself for many many years uh, yes a very complicated interesting read I feel and inspiring I hope people can be inspired by it well I think what what particularly for women I think what's very interesting is that so much of your life was kind of defined by men men kind of told you what to do but here you are you're now the star. You're now, you know, it's not also appearing. It's starring Shirley Ballas. Well, you know, what can I say? <laughs> I wrote it. It was a difficult write. I never thought it would come to fruition. And it now it is in you know, hardback, then paperback. And now it's got this possibility of going on Broadway. Of, you know, it's... It's just like a roller coaster ride. Yeah. All in four years. So it's uh, And quite a lot of the book is in America. Do you miss America? I miss... My son. He still lives in L.A. I haven't seen him like many people who've got children abroad. I haven't seen him in over two years. And, um, yeah, I miss him. Yeah. It makes me quite emotional oh. when I think about it because I lived yeah. just five minutes from him for 11 years and a big part of his life. But thank goodness for FaceTime and he really is a good son where he checks in on me every other day. Plus <gasps> takes care of my social media. Plus <laughs> takes care of everything. <laughs> Mother, be nice. Bella. Because um, well, he, I, I know he's done a lot of work on Broadway, so what's he doing in L.A.? Well, he is um, got an album coming out oh, with wow. his wife, and, you know, they're always putting new material out. You know, Alexander Jean, the, the, I love their music, very indie type of music. So he moved, you know, from Broadway, but still open to doing Broadway, so that's interesting. He had an opportunity to try for um, Jersey Boys here in London, but because of the pandemic and, you know, his yeah. wife's health and one thing and another... He, did, he wasn't able to do that. And your mom, your mom, Audrey? Yes. Uh, so she's sitting in your kitchen. She's sitting in my kitchen, probably <laughs> cleaning my pan drawers. <laughs> uh, so she's just moved in. She's moving in with me, yes. She feels, you know, she just said to me, I, I, she's kind of tired, I think, a little bit of doing gardening and housework and so on. And how would I feel if she moved in, in with me? And I, I'm ecstatic because she is my world, she rocks my world, she's 84, she is the queen bee, she is the boss. And, uh, yeah, I will always have some company. Um, has she read uh, Behind the Sequence? She read Behind the Sequence on the first draft, the second draft, the third draft. Uh, there was a few alterations going on there. My son read it, there was a few alterations after yeah. him. But just as long as she and Mark were happy with that, uh, then it went to print. But, I mean, there must have been stuff, particularly at the beginning when you were very young, she did not know. I think there was a, quite a lot in that book that she didn't know, but there was an awful lot that she was familiar with. And there's an awful lot that didn't go in as well, because obviously I didn't want, you know, the book to be like 25 feet long. <laughs> so I had to make choices and decisions about what went in. And uh, there was some things that had gone on in my past, but then there was still people living and I didn't want to be an alarmist or hurt it. It's not to hurt anybody's feelings. It's just my version of my life. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? It's your story, and then you you do have to slightly think about other people. Uh, Laura's been in touch. Uh, love, love, loves you. 
That's the main thing. That's the main thing. Uh, Always wondered this about celebrities. When do you decide to write an autobiography? Have you been making notes in a diary for years? I mean, in terms of remembering, what was your memory tool? Well, I had did do diaries. You know, I've kept diaries all my life and I live my life by a diary. And of course, my two husbands are still in the same industry as I am. And I just went from the beginning. At first, when I was asked to do it about four years ago, I said no, second year, no. But when we went into lockdown, I thought maybe I could relive some of these moments, get everything out and understand myself a little bit more for clarity. Yeah. And stop blaming myself for so many things that went wrong in my life, I think. Was this good? Was it like cheap therapy writing this book? <laughs> it was like therapy. Not cheap therapy, but therapy. <laughs> well, it was free for you. People, people have to pay for it. Yeah. Um, um, and the, 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 the process of writing it, I mean, how easy did you find that? Or how hard was that? The, the kind of the discipline required? Discipline, I'm good at discipline. But I would say it was one of the hardest things I ever did in my entire life. And as for my poor boyfriend who was locking down with me, Danny, you know, he had to deal with all the tears and then, you know, encouraging me to get it off my chest and get it out. It's not easy to write about your life. Well, it wasn't easy to write about mine. Painful. Yeah. But there was up moments, down moments. And the biggest thing I was always told, you'll be nothing but a wallflower. You'll never amount to anything. And then, obviously, life changes. So don't give up. Anybody who you're told not, you can't do it, you won't do it, you're not good enough, you're this, you're too heavy, you're that, you're the other, all the things I was told, everything's a possibility. And also weird to have a boyfriend and then, you know, suddenly... In one fell swoop, he knows everything about your past. Yeah, it was a little difficult. <laughs> but, you know, he stuck with me and yeah, he loves me. It, it and didn't frighten him off. Yeah. It did, it he, he's a keeper. Did. If you read this, he's still with you. He's a keeper. He yeah. is definitely a keeper. And, you know, hopefully one day we'll be together. And it might be marriage number three, you never know. Woo! Woo! And uh, tell me this. So you get, you hung up your shoes in, was it 96? 96. 96, yeah. you stopped. And so if... Strictly hadn't come along. What would you? What would you be doing now? Would you be managing dancers, coaching that kind of thing? I would. That's exactly what I'd be doing: traveling the world, lecturing, which I still do, by the way. So I run like two jobs because you never Available know. For bookings now. You, you, <laughs> you, never, <laughs> you never know if uh, this job will last. How long it will last? I think. So, I think it's got a few years uh, in it. Uh, yet. Well, I, I appreciate that. I love you to bits. Um, but yes, so I teach. I go in the studio. I mi- I put everything around. My schedule is full. That's why lockdown was so lovely in a way at the beginning because it was you were made to take a rest yeah. and I've never done that but yes that's what I do and I keep everything running and by the name it's Kai oh Kai, Kai yes yes darling well now here's the thing Simon in St Albans was asking not I mean, not do you have, well he is asking do you have a favourite but I'm not going to ask you that but but you must have couples who you have a, I know you're very professional but you must have couples that you just you're rooting for that you must mark a little more kindly absolutely not so in my own industry like when I have to judge a competition you have to do it without fear and favour and in our industry you're training a lot of the couples that you teach so there you go you stand out there with a pen and if you train a lot of them you really have to be as fair as you possibly can and my friend Karen Hilton hi Karen if she's listening MBE uh, we used to say you know you have to go to bed at night you have to you have to sleep so it's got it's on your conscience. So I can honestly say I do mark 
what is in front of me. And it's not always about technique. It can be about entertaining. Like on week three, I chose, on movie week, to forgive the little mistakes because they had a lot going on. But now from week four and five, it gets tougher yeah. and everybody's got to pull their weight. You cannot be making mistakes and things. So. And that is the thing about that industry. You know, people talk you know, about Anton going on the panel, but that's always the way. Dancers always judge other dancers. That's correct. Is it right? I'm not sure. Have they tried different solutions? Yes. But if you take out everybody who teaches everybody, we'd end up with nobody judging. <laughs> or you'd have general public judging. Now, that might be a good thing. Well... Could be the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker. You never know. <gasps> that pesky vote. <laughs> That pesky vote, <laughs> that final, <laughs> that must drive you crazy. No, I want to crown the winner. Uh, well, you know, particularly in Strictly, let's see what happens. You know, this time, I mean, we've got Ugo's out with his sore back. He comes back next week. And then we had another gentleman who had to leave the competition. Robert, Robert Webb, Robert, yeah. Robert Webb. So is it going to be three in the final, four in the final? What's going to happen? Who's going to go up? Who's got Rumba next? Who's got Samba next? Just because you're at the top of the leaderboard. Doesn't mean you're going to remain there. Mm. More mm. twists and turns than there are in Shirley Ballas' autobiography uh, <laughs> behind the sequence, which is out in paperback now. Uh, Shirley, thank you so much for coming in to see us. Thank you for always having me, Graham. Oh, I love you to bits. God, don't be I mad. Don't. Thank uh, you. And uh, love to your mother. How lovely that you're kind of <laughs> I'm re- so lucky. Is she cooking lunch right now? She's cooking lunch. That's, she's, that's she's what we want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care of yourself. Thank you. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Wade. Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Time for my second guest of the day. Uh, Sandylands returns to gold on October the 25th and its star, Tracy Ann Oberman, joins me now. Hello, Tracy Ann. Hello, Graham Morton. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, where in the world are you? I'm in Anglesey, Wales, right in a little caravan filming. <laughs> it's very wet, it's very beautiful, and there's a lot of sheep. And genuinely, I mean that. Yeah. Uh, when you say Anglesey, you make, you make it almost sexy, Tracy Ann Oberman. <laughs> Anglesey, pouring with rain. <laughs> this isn't just any old Anglesey. <laughs> this is wet Anglesey. <laughs> so, Sandylands. Uh, Sandylands, this is season two of Sandylands, and you, I mean, presumably you said yes when you found out your character was called Donna Vegas. Oh, my gosh. I, I, well, I said yes when I knew it was opposite Sanjeev Bhaskar, who's one of my dear friends and playing his wife. But, yes, Donna Vegas, a cruise ship third-rate John, John, uh, Jay McDonald, <laughs> sold it to me immediately. <laughs> Do we get to hear you sing? Oh, God, and then some. Yes, I sing loads. I sing the whole way through it. Oh, fabulous. It's been... been (laughs) The whole thing has been amazing. Western Supermare, set on that beach, David Williams, Sanjeev Bhaskar, amongst others, Craig Parkinson, and singing in a big wig. And Simon Bird, Sophie Thompson. I mean, the cast is extraordinary. Extraordinary. They're very lucky to have those wonderful people. And did Western Supermare enjoy having you all in it? (laughs) Yes, I think they did. As much as we enjoyed having us, us ourselves in Western Superman. I loved it. Have you been there? Do you know, years ago, I was there with my parents and we stayed in a, in a bed and breakfast. And in the morning, the landlady was kind of, you know, giving us our limp bits of bacon. And she went, it's a dying town. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, well, it's perked up. It's become the sort of Hollywood of the, uh, of the West. Loads of things filming. I loved it. It had a real old school kind of glamour and charm. Real proper British countryside. And how long were you were you there for? 
We were there for a month and it we, we were there during lockdown, but filming was just allowed to go. So was that the second or eighth lockdown? I can't remember. I think it was in the second lockdown, but filming we were allowed to do as long as we didn't socialise outside the car, you know, outside filming hours. And it was really great. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, the things I've I've seen, I mean, I find that sort of moving the the amount of effort and sacrifice that crews and things put into kind of keeping the show on the road. Yes, really, really moving. And um, the, you know, just the desire to want to make television and entertainment. You know, I've just been on stage in the Windsors and so the desire there just to get things moving from everybody. There's such a sense of good of goodwill and desire to make it happen it has been, is wonderful. Uh, which royal did you give us in the Windsors? Oh, I, I'm such a shame you missed it. I gave Camilla Parker Bowles. Oh! And I sang a song as well about <laughs> Princess Diana. You'd have loved it. <laughs> Opposite Harry Enfield. It does sound good. <laughs> um, listen, we must mention it. So that's Sandylands. Sandylands yes. season two is uh, gold, Monday, October the 25th at 10 o'clock. Ridley Road. Ridley Road. Oh, yes. uh, all episodes of that are available on iPlayer now. And you are, I mean, I was thinking about this this morning. You're one of those very rare people. You know, you have this big comedy career where you're in lots of funny things and yet you are still able to be in Ridley Road and you don't distract, you're brilliant in it and you're I mean, I, I, I'm I, just saying that. There's no question. I'm just commenting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll shut up now. Uh, Ridley Road, were you familiar with the source material before you uh, saw the scripts? Yes, I was. And thank you for saying that because I, I do think that absolutely I've, you know, I think the desire for all of us as actors, actresses, I'm reclaiming that word. We're all actresses, Graham. Um, as Dorothy Parker said, uh, scratch an actor and you get an actress. I think, yes, um, you know, we, the, you know, I think I am able to flip between the two and it's a real privilege. And I was very much aware of the rise of fascism in the 60s. You know, I come from a family of Jewish immigrants. They fought in Cable Street against Mosley. Um, they fought in the 43 group against the rise of fascism. And this country does have a flirtation uh, with fascism um, and racism and othering when times are tough. And I think we can see it on the rise again. This is a fun thing to discuss on a Sunday morning, but well, I think it's important. Yes, I agree with you. I agree. And I think, you know, hats off to the BBC for doing, you know, for investing in a big, it's four parts, isn't it? Four, big four-parter. Yes, um, a big four-parter. Uh, on, on this subject. Because it is, it's sort of, I mean, it's like a movie. It's it, it, yeah, The production it values are huge. And I think what people have forgotten is that so soon after the Second World War and the liberation of the concentration camps, mainly by British troops, that there was a rise of fascism under Colin Jordan, uh, marching through the streets of, of London, um, holding these mass rallies, calling to get rid of all the Jews, kill all the Jews, perish Judah, and to get rid of the black community as well. So there was a very big rise of fascism. Um, and I think that that is something that, you know, in a time when we are re-looking at our history, our colonialism and otherwise, this is also something that we mustn't forget as well. And I think Ridley Road does it brilliantly. It's sexy, it's political, it's exciting, but it also makes a big point. It's also that thing, isn't it, when, you know, things are bleak and you're thinking, oh, how will we, how will we survive this? It is nice to look back and kind of go, oh, no, it was horrible then too. <laughs> <laughs> but didn't it look nice? And yes, it was, it was horrible. And I think we do have to look back and think, you know what, we need to learn lessons that when, you know, when there's a lot of uncertainty in the air, 
it is very easy to blame others for what we feel is lacking. And often those others are immigrants, a different religion, a different color, a different sexuality. And I just think we need to be, you know, we need to learn lessons and just to say, we, you know, don't go down that route. Very similar to Sandy Lands, Graham. It's fair, I mean, really, uh, they're beautiful bookends. <laughs> no. Exactly. If you want to laugh, definitely watch Sandy Lands. It's gorgeous. And if you want to be entertained and think, definitely do Ridley Road. And if you want to be amazed by Tracy Ann Oberman's talent, watch both because it's, oh, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, great. Thank you. There you go. Hey, I just thought, you're in Wales. Are you making that film with Miriam Margulies and Annie McDowell? <laughs> no, I'm making another little film with Timothy West. Oh, OK. okay. He's very good. Yes, I hear. That's what I hear. Uh, <laughs> and is this funny, Tracy Ann, or is it dramatic, Tracy Ann? No, this is dramatic. It's about Nazis. Although, actually, it's, it's feeling a bit miserable. But you're very good, Graham. I mean, talk about versatility. Look at you, author, actor. Presenter, actor. Let's. I think we, we can't. I think we can. Yeah, discount actor. I trained. Oh, actually, you went With to. You. Did you go to Central? Yes, you. I was in the first year, and you were in the third year, and you were the one we all looked up to. Really, so that Graham Norton is going to go far. I saw you in the Seagull. Did you? Were you in the Seagull? I don't think down? so. I mean, I might have right. been. I might have been. It's no, all I a bit of a blur. I know, but you were you're a brilliant actor. Brilliant, brilliant actor. Oh, oh, God, I'm so glad. We must have Tracy Ann Oberon on the programme more often. <laughs> this you interview's going me. very well. I think it's one of the best very interviews well. I've ever done. And it's very... about you. No, I like, I like the way we're both just telling each other how good we are. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, you're very good. <laughs> no, you're very good. No. What more can we discuss about me at this point? Well, uh, what I was going to say to you, and uh, uh, you must get bored of about talking about this, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. Uh, Twitter, you uh, you still you still do the Twitter, and I I mean I look at people like you on Twitter and I think, oh, how do you have the energy to do this? Do you think Twitter can change minds? Yes, I wouldn't be on it otherwise. Genuinely, I know exactly. Uh, but the reason why I have ended up being such a strong voice on Twitter is because a few years ago I began to see some really horrible, nasty, racist and misogynistic tropes knocking around uh, and I could see that nobody was standing up to it and I wanted to, I couldn't work out why nobody in the Labour Party or otherwise was actually speaking out on this really horrible anti-Semitic stuff and misogynistic stuff and um, I just found myself using my platform and my voice to speak out and I do think that I changed hearts and minds because I think, unfortunately, as we have seen over the years, Twitter and social media has become a battleground for radicalisation. And as it's there, and if you have an opinion, I think it's important to use your platform, if you speak, feel strongly enough, to sort of puncture echo chambers and to give an alternative view. But there must be days when you just feel like you're carrying a tonload of wet towels up a hill. I mean, it just... I do know what they say, Graham. Activists, oh, that's the other thing. I suppose I see myself as an accidental activist these days. And they say activists are born, not made. It was something I didn't feel I had a choice. You know, I come from a family of Holocaust survivors and I've seen, I've stood up to so much over the years. And I just felt that I needed to speak out. And so, yes, the wet towels are repulsive and it does sometimes feel like Atlas, but it's become a, you know, I, I have a I have a platform to to challenge and to speak my mind and people do listen. And it's, I feel it's important. 
Well, well done. I mean, hats off to you. I'm such a coward. I, I just, <laughs> I, you know what I mean? The thought of a pylon just terrifies me and you've survived a few. Uh, oh, my goodness, do you just yes. Do you just, like, put the phone in a plastic bag and put it in the freezer <laughs> <laughs> and, and sit in a chair? I mean, how do you switch it off? How do you, how do, because it must be so weird to know that all that stuff is bubbling away and fizzing yes. in the internet while you sit watching telly. Well, it's a bit like a door's closed and then you open it and all this babble comes through and then you shut the door and it goes away. However, I think the thing that I have done and David Baddiel and Rachel Riley and others like me, we have found ourselves embroiled and caught up in being a voice for people who maybe haven't been so brave. And I think that the more they threw at me, the stronger it made me be because it was about silencing me, particularly as a woman. And um, I I don't know, I just have obviously got, I, I just am able to take, listen, as an actor, as an actress over the age of 30, when you've survived everything in this industry, um, trolls on the internet don't really mean much. Yeah, if you can survive auditions, you can, <laughs> <laughs> you can survive the internet. Exactly, the many years of rejection you end up with the skin of a rhino, literally and otherwise. But um, But I know what you mean, but somehow I have become quite inured to it. And I think that the more they throw at me, the more they show who they really are. Uh, well done, you, Tracy Oberman. If you want to see Tracy Oberman being funny, uh, Sandylands starts on Monday, October the 25th at 10 o'clock <laughs> on Gold. If you want to see Tracy Ann Oberman being dramatic, Ridley Road, all of it, all episodes available on iPlayer Now. Uh, we leave you in your caravan. <laughs> oh, don't leave me, Graham. I feel like I'm in a hostage crisis in the outside world. <laughs> it's so sweet. Don't leave yeah. me, Graham. Yeah. Stay on the line. Help is on its okay. way. Help is on we're, all the embassy. Yeah. We're trying to pinpoint the, we're trying to pinpoint the <laughs> signal. Yeah. Anglesey, Anglesey. Loads of love, loads all of love. All right, darling. Thank day. you so much for taking the time out to talk to us. <laughs> bye. bye. Bye, bye, Thank you so much for joining me for the Graham Norton Radio Show podcast with the Waitrose. I'm back on Virgin Radio from 9.30 on Saturday morning. And don't forget, the next episode of the podcast will be out first thing the following Monday. Speak to you then. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.